My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our topic today is leadership development through the lens of the future of work. And our guest today is Marianne Rue. Marianne has 28 years global experience as a HR executive, future of work strategist and professor of leadership. She holds a master's degree in HR and organizational psychology and is completing her PhD in the leadership in the future of work context. She currently runs Rue Consulting, a global niche consulting firm. Her experience spans several industries, including retail, FMCG, mining, oil and gas, public sectors, pharmaceutical and tech startups. She's recently published a book on adaptive HR and personal agility. A reflection journal, knowing your superpowers is the key to your success in a changing world. And she is featured in Maturing Leadership, How Adult Development Impacts Leadership. Marianne, welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here. I am fascinated by the research you have done. You have reviewed nearly every article in the last 20 years on leadership development. So since we're both in the area of leadership development, I just had to get you onto the podcast to discuss what are your what are your insights about best practices when it comes to leadership, especially with the future of work context? So where should we begin? Well, I think let's start with what problem I was trying to solve over the last six years. I have been, as you say, an executive, a professor and a consultant. And I've been so frustrated by the lack of impact, the amount of money spent on the lack of impact of leadership development, whether it's MBAs, whether it's executive development, whether it's in-house run programs. And I've just been struggling with it so much. And it just felt like as we went into 2014, into the fourth industrial revolution and COVID, that we were even less effective at preparing leaders to thrive and lead in this very complex, uncertain, evolving world. And I've always been fascinated by systems thinking. I've always been fascinated by adult development. And I thought, I just want to explore, read everything ever possibly done, do a PhD in finding an updated leadership model that counters this really stayed, shallow competency process that everybody has followed. I'm not a lover of competencies or traits or behavior theories. That doesn't change anything. And these very staid, programmatic, one-size-fits-all, face-to-face programs that we've been delivering with the same material in every single context. Uh, I didn't know how to do this. And I've been working with some amazing people like Theo Feldspun and David Day, And I knew there were some things in there. So I just went and had a look and I said, okay, let's find an updated leadership meta model because there are about 66 of them out there. It is so confusing. One follows servant leadership. The other one follows neuro leadership. The other one has a transformational leadership model. There are 66 of these things. Which ones actually have relevance in the future of work context? Um, And then leadership development, which is different to the model. The model is the, what am I developing? And we now know it's mindsets and practices, not competencies, um, and making meaning, sense, and things like that for leaders. And how am I developing it, which is the leadership development framework. And the two have to talk to each other. So am I doing 360s coaching? Which of these things, are they standalone events or are they an integrated co-created approach to how to develop leaders 
lifelong because the context keeps evolving. So that's what I've been trying to work on. <laughs> I am fascinated by this. This is my approach as well. I was talking before we recorded the, the podcast where I really liked that you used the, the word and I would use it as well, co-create. Uh, and, and using something that's fit for purpose, a bespoke uh, model that is there. And again, it's about focusing on what the organization needs are. So you mentioned systemic thinking, and I know you have a, a model there where it's about that disruptive context there. Can you can you tell me a little bit about how you are, what, how, how you would say measure for that context piece or how do we, how does that, how does the, what are the elements involved? It's interesting. I've looked at um, how few research studies and, and practices actually take context into account. And it is woeful. It is woeful. And then on top of that, it is woeful how little leadership development is actually measured um, to see whether it's actually been relevant to the context. So there are a couple of things we need to, to work here. One of the things we set out early is that we wanted to understand the context. So we've described it. So we did a lot of research in describing the fourth industrial revolution context, and we then added the COVID-19 emerging context, which immediately threw us into a remote virtual hybrid work model and also changed the expectations of employees considerably about life and meaning in life. Um, so all very accelerated. So you've got these three key major themes coming together of fourth industrial revolution technologies of AI and automation together with a pandemic that threw us into remote and hybrid working and affected people's well-being, together with people going, hey, I want to work for an organization that cares about me and cares about the environment, and I no longer want to sit in this kind of environment. So that's the context, and it will keep evolving. So when you are designing, you have to use a best practice leadership model, but you also have to, like in one of the programs I've recently run, I, we interviewed the executive team on the strategy, the specific strategic outcomes. I researched the whole industry to look at what's happening in that industry, what the key challenges of that industry is in the fourth industrial revolution, in the meaning and purpose space, and in COVID-19 affecting their industry. And we also did a discovery survey with all the participants, all 150 and we asked all of them what their key challenges were, what their priorities were, what they needed to do, and how they want to learn. And all of that was used in a design lab in the end to co-create the learning objectives of the program, the learning journey that they'll be going on. And we stopped after every kind of 90 days, like a sprint, and said, right, people, is it working? Focus group, is it working? What has changed in the context? What do we need to shift on to make sure that is relevant? That, that's the first thing. The second thing is that we understood that context has got several dimensions. And through my research of this 20 years of research and practice, we actually found six different contexts you have to look at. And the first one is what we just spoke about. It's, that's called the environmental context. What's going on in the environment, internal and external this organization? We figured that out through all of I told you. But you also have to come then to the developmental context, and that's the what. And the important thing there is this is now where the model of leadership comes in. Are you going to use competencies and just do more, you know, horizontal development? In other words, I just give you another change management model. You're not even able to work at a more complex level in this more complex context or think more systemically. I just give you another tool and another, you know, little I don't know, book that I've read because everybody yeah. loves their little fans. We're saying, no, when you're doing the development, what goes in there is critical. It has to be based on adult development, personal agility. So I, for the first six months in every program, I first develop personal agility in people so that they're open to learning. I develop contextual intelligence so that they can make sense of things. When they're ready, we then start to say, right, let's tackle real challenges in your organization, real strategic and internal challenges, not projects like we do at Executive Education. The program I've just worked on, they identified clients, real clients, and they had to drive 
real sales. They had to turn around an unprofitable client, improve client, sell cross line of business in there or on the program. And they had to nominate these projects. And then everything we taught them, systems thinking, everything, they had to apply into that with the client. It's on real work with real results, which we measured at the end. So what you develop is critical. Then you've got to decide who is getting developed. Because one of the problems with leadership is it's been, when you work with competencies and behaviors and traits, it's very individualistic. Where this comes from is from psychology. We had a lot of people in psychology start with leadership development. What do psychologists do? One-on-one work. So we needed to bring sociology and all that kind of thinking and to say, no, humans work in groups. It's relational. So you have to do collective leadership development where people work with each other, make sense together, learn together. And if you understand adult development, people are all on their own individual trajectory too at the same time. So you also have to have, and this is where you need micro learning and some technology to drive some individual learning. That's the who. Then fourth is the how, right? So really what we're saying is, What pedagogy are you using? This is really important because we still use functionalist pedagogy. Functionalist pedagogy, competencies, easy things. We're saying, no, we need you to use experience. It's like I told you, wicked problems, real wicked problems. You need to make people uncomfortable. How do you teach to make people uncomfortable so that they have to use their growth mindset and be curious and step out of thinking bigger, having more responses to things than they had before. Your pedagogy has to change. It's got to be reflective, action-oriented, immersive. And then the temporal context is when. It cannot be a short program. This is the hardest thing to do because the execs push back. After 9 to 12 months, they're like, okay, is the training done now? And I'm like, nope. (laughs) Ongoing, 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 ongoing development, right? So, we, this program, we did 24 months of development. It's now going into further stages of embedding, building. And then finally, technological context. You know, where are you doing this? Well, guess what? Your people are remote and hybrid. So you better start creating some good digital standards and leveraging technology for a proper, impactful, blended approach. You can't take what you've done and just put it online. It's not going to work. So we work with all six contexts. So all the interviews I did with thought leaders, I did 20 interviews, 22 interviews, all the research from 20 years of research ever done on context and leadership development showed us these six things are critical to leadership development. This episode is brought to you in association with Work Matters. People and leadership solutions for the changing world of work. I am a huge fan of this work, uh, as I mentioned earlier on. And it does get that balance right between an academic and a practitioner. It's that pracademic, as I like to call it, approach. And I, I think this is key. Sometimes we focus on too much of the functional stuff and not have enough, I suppose, of that uh, experience, experience of adult development, experience of facilitation, group coaching. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to go through some of the context here, Marianne. You know, you were talking about it can be messy or or complex. You know, when you go uh, into an assignment then with an organization, is is there how much time do you spend on the design piece up front or getting commitment from people up uh, up front, especially senior management. This is often, uh, I suppose, a struggle in the L&D world. What are your thoughts on that? We spend about three months. Three months. Mm. Mm. We don't gloss this over. We had, when, when I stepped into this client, for example, they had five kind of traits of what they wanted their leaders to do. They were growing very slowly. So they said, oh, you know, it's like future shaper, Inspire vision, you know, the typical stuff. I said, wonderful. What does that mean? Yeah. (laughs) In terms of mindsets and practices you want to see. I said, I'm not taking this. And they had actually assessed the people and told me where the gaps were. I said, wonderful. It means nothing what you've done. I can do nothing with this. So I want to show you the model that I've developed. And then I want us to say, 
for inspiring vision or being a thought leader, tell me what are the mindsets underpinning that? What are the leadership practices underpinning that, right? And then on top of that, so I, so we spend time building a mindsets and practices model for their context to fit with what, what they had told me they want. So that was really important. We then spent time. I said, I now want to do a 180 manager and employee on this mindsets and practices model. So I get a proper measure. And not just that we asked them what capability they had. We also asked them what they thought was most important for the organization in the future. Because it might not be that important. So growth mindset came up as one of the most important things. Credibility came up. So it was very, very clear that for us in our context, not just we know where the gaps are on a mindset and practices level, we also know what is most important to us, right? And that's, you need to do that. You can't just talk about capability. Then I said, okay, wonderful. Now I want to do a desktop review of two things. One is of your industry. I want to see whether you really understand how your industry is emerging. So here is what I see happening in leadership and leadership development, your industry and in challenges. Now tell me your strategic response to it so that we're very clear and tell me what your wicked complex problems are that you need to solve so that we can pivot this program against those wicked complex problems in your industry and in your organization. So we know what the gaps are and what's important. We now know what the specific challenges, wicked challenges are before we start the program design, right? Mm. And now I'm going to put out a quick discover survey to all your participants to ask them. We ask them where they spent their time, where they'd like to spend their time, what they thought their biggest challenges were, right? How they would like to be developed, what worked for them, what did, we got all that information. And then we said, right, now we design and we tested that design. We had a governance committee with a representation. We tested it with them and we tested it with some of our participants and said, what does this look like? And once that was signed off and we said, we're not designing everything up front. This is the journey and we'll design as we go, right? So, and we know we want a mix of all these things based on, we use the principles in the background, the design principles, we agreed the objectives, the design principles, and we designed the journey that they'll be going on. Even that changed over time. But the, it took three months, and that three months saved us, made sure that people were committed for 24 months. It's hard to keep people committed and energized for 24 months. I like what you, you said there about the design and that emerging piece, the, some of the most successful programs are when I've been really trusted by senior leaders in the organization to design something that's fit for purpose and also have the faith in me to say, listen, this is something that's really emerging. And a key point that you made there was that there's sometimes there are key challenges that need to be addressed first before you even start a program. So when you talk about credibility or, you know, getting into the room together, there, there might be conflict or there might be certain things to overcome that will not really uh, be, I suppose, there could be enablers or disablers for the organization. So before you even design something, there's certain things we need to figure out. Would you, would you have a similar approach? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I think that, you know, even in my governance committee at this client, I could see the tension between certain individuals <laughs> that were not on the same page, um, you know, because they all bring their own agendas about what they wanted to drive. One might be a commercial leader and the other one might be a people leader and the other one might, you know, so they're all bringing that angle and you've got to negotiate the balance of that in your design so that you get everybody's buy-in because if you've got a whole area like commercial not buying in, you know, then a couple of things will happen. They'll go and design their own programs because they won't agree with yours, right? Um, or yeah. one of the regions. I found that one of the regions was really not on board because they were driving their own programs. This happens so often. Um, and we really had to step back and say, listen, because this group wanted all 150 senior leaders to go through at the same time for a cultural change. You know, and it was so important to say to them, you know what, work with us here um, and I'll work with you on the bits that you want to do specifically. So, um, you know, do this in addition to, but don't do the same things we were doing. And, 
you have to get through some of those things. Again, they pop up through time as well. You can't solve it all up front. So you've got to keep on top of those things. But it is very important to have those conversations and alignment. Even through the 24 months, it was a restructure. There was cost pressures. You know, we had to keep going through cost pressures. Um, you know, you have to keep pivoting. Because if you keep stuck just with the same design you had up front, you become irrelevant to them. So glad you just said that. And as well, the culture piece is really important. I remember delivering a program in Europe and then we did it in Africa and we had to change it to suit the context. And lots, and, and it, I suppose it was great learning for me at the time. And then that design piece, you need to figure out what flows in the program. Are, are people ready for it? Is the organization ready? And what do we need to, I suppose, give them first to get yeah. them ready a bit like which is that growth mindset which which I really agree with and again it's teaching people to be feel uncomfortable you know and and I think there's a a big aspect of who the person you're getting into the room a bit like yourself is that you have to live this work yourself you have to show that you've been agile that you're open to change you have to vulnerable. role model yeah. yes yeah at that vulnerable piece you have mm-hmm. to really embody this because if you don't where's your credibility absolutely you cannot come with a um i know it all um absolutely not um if you do that you've got to listen to them and go wow that's a fantastic point you know let's think about that even through you know i did process checks with them when we were doing the systems thinking problem solving i'd say is this working is there another way we need to do this and they'll come out and why don't we do it like that i'm like yeah let's include that in the process you know it's a you have to do that because none of us know everything anymore, ever. We didn't in the past, but now we know even less. And we all learn. I say to them, we're all learning together how to navigate this new world of work. Um, I'm probably a half a step ahead of you because I spend my time focusing on it while you're busy running your business. Yeah. Um, but I'm a half a step ahead. I'm not in your shoes. So we have to work this out together. Uh, and then you mentioned the the pedagogy there and sometimes people like shiny stuff that they feel like can we have the outdoor experience or you know which I also do or Lego serious play or the action learning I do lots of different activities and the first question I ask is what's the purpose behind that what are you trying to achieve and when I design a program and I'm sure you're the exact same is it has to be fit for purpose so these are tools so whether it's a psychometric use or something like that, it needs to be fit for purpose. Is, is that how you would approach it? Is, is work backwards? Absolutely. It needs to be yeah. fit for purpose. Like, for example, in this program, it's very important to also use a mix of things. So mm. in this program, we used live webinars. Yeah. Because it was really important for the deep learning, right? For And people did pre-work so that they didn't do the theory in the webinar, right? So you think about how you construct this. And you've got to decide what are the themes in these webinars. So you might say, I'm going to use the webinars for um, to tackle the key um, mindsets. You know, so for example, I had webinars on personal agility, six of them, where they did some pre I've got six practices. They did pre-work. They came in. When they came in, we talked about it. We did polls. We had breakouts. We talked about it. They shared their learnings with each other. And I give them tips and tools. So they walk away and they know how to implement growth mindset for themselves, for their teams, and for their organization. And then the next one might be on self-awareness, and then on grit, then on, you know. So, so those webinars are deep learning, but they're only 90 minutes because we don't do these full day things anymore. So you've got to think about how do people really learn? When do they have too much information? How do you pace it? So, and then alongside that, everything has to fit in a total picture. I did podcasts like you are with experts to show them how that might be on the leadership practices I want them to do. And the people I interviewed were people who were implementing those practices in reality. So I can show them that it's possible and inspire them to do it. And, and thank you for mentioning the podcast. That's an approach that I would take yeah. myself. It's good creating that curated content, whether yeah. it's a podcast or a webinar or articles. And from learning theory, then it's that spacing effect exactly. that we need to remind people, this is the learning. 
Yeah. Are you embedding it? How yeah. works in practice? Yeah. So you link that. And then I have another stream and I say, right, they're learning the mindsets here. They're learning practices here. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to do, and I did this virtually, but I also usually do this in person. I bring people in for two days into world cafes oh, I love and world cafes, complex yeah. problem seminars, and they bring their real client problems and their real internal problems, and they work through it, and they map the mess, and they figure out the patterns you know, in together. Now, I had to do this virtually. Let me tell you, that was really hard, but it is possible. We used Mural. Yes. We used Mural. I used the human center designer to help me figure this out. They had their space and they worked it through. They worked through massive, difficult, complex client challenges. They walked out with a new approach to the client, a new way of selling into the client. And they actually, you can't believe the sales and business sale, business development results we got. It was incredible. So they they immersed themselves in there. So they've got the they start webinars, then they've got their podcasts in between, then they've got the immersion and they work in client action groups on it throughout the whole project. And there's a bit of competition, gamification, because we know that's good for learning. So we had a leaderboard, right? And then, not in this program, but in some of my next programs, because I now have the micro learning technology, we, based on somebody's 180 or 360, you can drive on an app-based tool like Search9. We built little LRPs. And LRPs are, you might say there are 15 leadership practices and five mindsets, and the person's done their 180. For each individual, we take their individual, now we're individualizing it, top three gaps, and we push 15-minute micro-learnings to them. Let's say I take month one, your top capability gap, and for four weeks, you get 15 minutes every week, something pushed to you, a podcast, a quiz, a flashcard, a tip, a tool. That's just for you. Over a four-week period, you get four of those. And then the next month, for your next capability, you get four of those. And it's just for you in your own space, on your mobile, right? Quick bites. So you combine macro and micro learning. You combine deep learning external perspectives, immersions, right? And micro-learning nudges so that this is how a pedagogy has to be really well thought out and combined. I even have another client where at the end of all of that, we built an augmented reality simulation for them that all the participants went in on and solved one of the top strategic challenges, ESG, together right? Playing in an augmented reality solution to integrate the learning. So you've got to think about the learning really intentionally. Can I ask then, because there's certain times we go into an organization and they go, okay, our people do not have the capacity to do all of this there. So you're talking about the macro, the micro nudges, the immersive piece. We can't take people off site. You know, it's great that you're using gamification and LRPs. So my question is, Is are you up front to say, listen, if you commit to this, this is the commitment of the individual learner that it's going to take four hours of their week on learning and development. Is, is that Absolutely. how you approach it? Absolutely. But you know what is wonderful when you start to do 90 minutes, 45 minutes, 15 minutes, is, for example, I've just designed a program for the top 2,000 leaders of a professional services firm. And over 18 months, everything I've just told you is 25 hours of learning, actual learning. I mean, that is a very small commitment over mm. 18 months for learners. But it is very focused, very specific, and it is very um, paced out. Yeah. So you get this long-term learning happening right and is that is that 25 hours in total or 25 hours total total in total hmm. now they're not doing the two-day immersions they're doing four times two hour no they are actually they're, they're coming together in groups in their regions doing okay. that immersion so do you know what i mean like it is really if you're starting to space out like we do a webinar for example one every second month yeah. and a podcast in the in-between month right? Yeah. And then you've heard about the 15 minutes. So you're not overloading them because 
giving people conceptual overload doesn't work. They don't remember it. They don't apply it. So we give it to them in smaller chunks so they can go and apply it and learn and reflect. And can I ask then from a quality assurance point of view, and you talk about evidence-based and we talk about systems thinking there, there are some people listening in here that will be, well, how do you measure quality if it's emergent? How do you measure the outcomes? I think it's kind of linked to the LRP's piece. Just from that quality assurance point of view, isn't there a big emphasis on getting the likes of you into the room to do this like a program director, that there's a huge emphasis and focus on getting the right person to organization to take this approach? Yeah, so I, I was the director right through. It's really important to have somebody who manages the whole thing and make sure that it's there. You also want to pull from whatever technology you're using. You want to pull data. So, of course, after every intervention, after every podcast, every webinar, we do a quick poll. It gets sent out to the learners, right, because we want to measure Kirkpatrick at all four levels. We send it out. We see what's worked and what hasn't worked. We had to pivot. We had one podcast people didn't particularly enjoy the individual. So, okay, that didn't work so well. So you get that. Um, So you look at attendance, obviously, because you just need to look at some basic things. You look at their reaction. Um, We had um, focus groups, as I said, every three months to say, is the content working? Is the process working? So we would just grab different samples and say, right, give us a bit of feedback. Honestly, 30 minutes. And they just give us highline feedback. Right at the end, um, I have just written up this case study for this client. Um, right at the end, I interviewed all the executives and coaches and said, did we meet the learning objectives? What have you seen change? What has not changed yet? All right. And put those themes out. And I sent a level three, two and three Kirkpatrick evaluation. So I literally asked people, are your clients seeing a difference? Have you been promoted? One third of my people on the program over the last 24 years have been promoted or have been given expanded roles for example, of the 150, yeah. and it's still continuing. So we measure promotions. We measure whether they feel they can use it, whether they understand their role differently. We measure all of those things. Um, and honestly, I, we got incredible results. And then we looked at the sales and the sales pipeline. We hung our hats on it. We said, okay, what sales that we achieve of the clients that we were nominating in this, what sales How many of those were cross-line of business? How many of those were new clients that we bought in that we didn't have before? How many of those were unprofitable clients that we turned around? And how big were the deal sizes? Were they bigger, same? We measured all of that. Now, we can't say attribute all all of that to the program. We know that. But we also looked at interview data from the execs because we asked them and they, they were like, yeah, we think a major part of this result was as a result of us approaching clients differently, of us collaborating differently as a result of leaders understanding their role differently. You have to do that level of assessment. Our measurement, especially of online programs, if you read Kirkpatrick's latest program, 17%, 17% of online leadership programs are evaluated. And if they are, it's at level one. Are we happy with it or not? Do we like the facilitator or not? You have to do that because I'm now using that data to focus on the next 400 leaders for them. So I've just done the first 150. I'm using Mm -hmm. the input from that to design and tweak the next 400. And we'll keep doing that to keep getting better. I I need to ask a practical question. As a fellow peer, from a scheduling point of view and stakeholder engagement, there's a huge lift at the start of a program. I can see why it takes three months to get everything lined up. And again, I, you know, some people might have a fear of what what happens if people aren't engaging on the program that could easily opt out that don't look at the webinars or whatever. Is that all tracked as well? Or how do you manage it's that? It's tracked because it's because it's on Zoom, right? You can see who's there. Um So we absolutely track it. Um, We do have a project manager. It's really important that you have a project manager. 
Mm. Now, I have a gun project manager in the client. Sometimes the project managers are in the client. Yeah. Um, and we talk about what we're going to track. Obviously, we don't want to make it too hard. But, you know, if you look at learning experience platforms these days and like search nine micro learning platforms, all of it is tracked for you. I can see in the LRPs exactly who has accessed what, how much time they've spent on all of those things I can see. So most people have degreed or they have something like that and you can track it. You've got Zoom, you've got Teams, you can track it, right? So you can see. Now, do we know exactly if they're sitting there actually listening to it? No, we don't. I mean, you know, (laughs) and we don't want to be spying on our people in that way. Yeah. Um, Did we have a drop off on the program? Absolutely. At the start, 180 people did the 180s and discover survey. In the end, we ended with 150. We're happy with that. Some of it was people who left. Some of it was people who were having performance issues or were just not that committed. Um, And I've got to tell you, the executive team took note of the 30 that dropped off. They took note of that from a talent point of view. This episode is brought to you in association with Work Matters, people and leadership solutions for the changing world of work. Your thoughts then on accelerated learning, is is there a little bit here of that because we're doing short bursts there, there's, there's a huge amount of accelerated learning that when we are doing something immersive, then that this, because we have been primed as adults and then we're doing a lot of, that I suppose that the sociology point of view of working and collaborating together, that when we do something then like a task together that's based on the business challenge, then that that really accelerates learning. Unbelievably. You know, the, I was working with these teams um, where they would take honestly their toughest, toughest client. And I would say to them, I don't want you to think about products and services. I want you to think about, what is the strategic challenge this client has to solve to achieve their results? So why, what would stop, the question is, what would stop this client from achieving it? And you have to, from all the lines of business, from everybody in the room, in the World Cafe, figure out for me what is stopping this client from being successful. Because if you can go to this client and say, we understand your problem and we understand why, or do this even with the client, You get to that immediately. And then we go, here are the patterns we're seeing that's stopping you from being successful. This is the culture stuff. This is the structure stuff, et cetera. Um, And then you sit with the client and you say, all right, and then you think about how do we solve for those patterns? And you think about, do we have current products or services here or in the rest of our business that can solve some of these things? Where do we have gaps? What do the competitors have that we don't have? And what would be an innovative thing that if we did it, even though we're not doing it right now, so we push them, if we did that, that would solve the client's problem immediately. We still not, then we say, right, now go and put, if we backcast from this to where you are now, what would you need to put in place for the client? Now, how can you go and create a different conversation with a client, right? Um, Share some of your thinking with them. And start, and I said, and you can still sell the first one or two products and services in there because, but you've seen now, we can have a longer journey with you. We understand. We call that problem finding, you know, rather than selling services and solutions. And what they say to me is that suddenly, overnight, they're having very different conversations with clients. Now, this is something that would have taken them a year, two years mm-hmm. to be getting into the client and talking about this little piece of work and then they hope they will be invited onto the next, you know, RFP to talk about this piece of work. Now they're like, no, no, no. We understand your whole world, your problem. We can deliver this piece, but we also understand all of that. So the client's constantly talking to you about this. And they're just going, this has shifted completely how we work. And that's what you want learning to do. Learning has got to shift how people work and how they achieve and exhilarated. Absolutely. I, I would share a, a similar uh, mindset on that. I believe that the future of L&D has been a long-term external learning and development partner, somebody that has no agenda, somebody that will hold you accountable, somebody that will challenge your thinking, and someone that you can trust as well that will give you a difficult message when you need to hear and in my own business, why I get so much repeat business 
is that people know I'm going to be completely authentic and honest with them to say, yeah. I think we need to have a look at this. I agree. And and we're not sell. you know, I don't want to sell predefined programs and solutions and the latest fast to them. I am agnostic. I have a set of tools and techniques and pedagogies and whatever. What I want to understand is what problem are you trying to solve with your development? And how does that, what business problems is that solving? And now let's look at where your priorities are because we can't do it all. You know, what are kind of our boundary parameters? Well, we've got X budget and Y time and so on. Okay, so within that, with the problem you're trying to solve and within that, what can we co-create that could work for you? And then we pull on all these products and services. But I think, you know, <laughs> there's so much selling of the um, knee-jerk reactions and selling of this is the golden bullet. And they are not golden bullets. Otherwise, we would have had amazing leaders in the world and we don't have lots of amazing leaders in the world. Just look around you. <laughs> We've got leaders that are feeling they're in over their heads and they're struggling um, and we've got others that are still bullying and getting away with it um, and others that are just laissez-faire and not involved with their people. There's a lot of work needed and leadership needs to be a lot broader. So we need to find ways of scaling it so it's not for the elite. And we need to just rethink all of this as we work through in partnership, as you say. The other problem is when they have five or six different providers. You know, I was just talking to another client or consulting firms all with different philosophies and nothing's integrated. So I do a 360 from this one. I get some, you know, whatever coaches from here. And, and it's like, okay, but my coach said this to me. Okay. <laughs> it needs to be integrated into an experience. It's a learning experience, just like it's an employee experience and the customer experience. It's a learning experience. What is that learning experience like? I I have a similar approach and I have trained up and I'd say five or six or maybe eight different psychometrics so I can fit into that company and that company's culture, you know, so there's cost wise, listen, it's, it's paying dividends. And this brings me to the whole notion of, you say, partners and, you know, personal agility that we talked about before. So how, how we, you know, connected was to our, our colleague, uh, Kevin Empey, who's, a wonderful book as well, Thrive in the Future of Work. And and he's a, a really good course on organizational agility uh, as well. And can I ask you your thoughts on personal agility? Because I really like Kevin's work, you know, um, there. And, and just one thing from his book that I have here, he says it's a, a, one part of an agile mindset or agility is bias for informed action iteration and experimentation i i love that like they're like work practices focus on outcomes values and principles so you know it's really about that co-creation and agile ways of working what are your thoughts on on personal agility where do what should people understand about personal agility yeah so kevin works very much with work practices so our work is very complementary because the angle I took was on mindsets, right? So I've got mindsets, he's got work practices. If you put the two together, you've got a really powerful combination, right? So um, I took my work from having worked with Stephen Covey many, many moons ago, seven habits, first things, thinking about that. Then emotional intelligence came in. Then neuroscience, uh, David Rock's work came in. And so all of this started to emerge um, and then, you know, positive psychology came in and I got to work with Tolbin Shahar of Harvard. And I looked at all of this and I told it an interesting piece of work. And I wanted to do the same was to, again, a bit like the leadership models. You'll see I like meta models. I filtered all of that work and said, what of everything that's ever been done in emotional intelligence and in positive psychology actually in the future of work context helps individuals' mindsets to thrive? And that's how I looked at personal agility and uh, with Toll's help as well, because he's done a lot of work at Harvard to look at the impact on people's happiness and thrive. I'm all about thriving in complexity, not just surviving. Mm. So going from, you know, fragility to agility um, and to become indistractable. I said, there are six things that have emerged. The first thing absolutely at the core is growth mindset. It doesn't matter who I work with. 
if you do not go in with a curiosity and a mindset, and you'll see this done at Microsoft and you'll see this done at Novartis, they focus their entire culture on curiosity and growth mindset. If I don't go in with that, there is no way on the planet I'm going to be agile in anything. All right, so we work very much on do we have a growth mindset? Do I have a growth mindset? Does my team have a growth mindset? Does the organization have a growth mindset culture? Right, so that's the first one. The second one, which we have not nailed in all the years I've worked in this, is self-awareness. We simply don't understand, you know, and Tasha, Yurich, people like that. I really went and pulled the best work I could find. You know, we self-deceive ourselves all the time. We judge ourselves on our intention and others judge us on our actions. And if we're not aware of our blind spots and if we're not aware of our strengths and we're not really working from it, we will never, ever be agile or be good leaders. So we absolutely have to lift our level of self-awareness and we're not there yet. So that's a key cornerstone. The third piece is I wanted to work, move away from emotional intelligence, which got a bit sad and dreary and looked at the work of Susan David on emotional agility. What is, because we do need emotions in the workplace and agility is important because if you work from fear or you work from something and you're not acknowledging and working with it, it'll stop you from being agile. So I work with emotional agility, right? How do I become emotionally agile and take a more positive approach so that I can see more broader. And then the fourth one I took from, this is a very stressful time we're all living in. Resilience hasn't quite cut it. We do need to be resilient, but I took the work of Angela Duckworth in grit. And I said, what does grit actually mean? And grit really is, you know, it is about a long-term goal that I hold. Even if I go through COVID, even if I go through anything, as an organization, as a team, as an individual, what is the longer-term goal we're holding here? And she found that was an absolute deciding factor between who made it in the end and who were thriving and who were not. Even if they had the same intelligence, same skills, same practices. And then the fifth one is an interesting one because it's about focus and deep work. And one of the things I noticed was how distracted people are in the new world of work with pings, dings, and rings, as Nir Eyal calls it, right? With meetings and emails, not getting to deep pieces of work, um, spending their time doing deep thinking at the edges of their schedule when they're exhausted and they're not very innovative. So helping people to take control back of their priorities, of their time, uh, managing their energy differently, um, focusing on minimizing distractions, right, getting much more disciplined about it helps them to do much better work. And then the final one is work that I absolutely love with a professor called Jervis Bush, and we worked around the world together on this, is relationships are so core. It's a bit what I would call the six of them, the human skills of the future of work. We know we keep saying machines are taking the jobs, we need to be more human. Well, what does it mean? It's going to be so critical to have very good relationships, and we are not very good at it. Because what we do is I make sense of something and you make sense of something. And then we both assume we're making sense the same way and we don't. And then we have interpersonal mush and off we go. And we get conflict and we get misunderstandings and we get silence and violence and all these things. Right. So what we want to do is make sure that we have a way of creating very clear relationships, having deep learning conversations with each other. And I use his work to help people to create these fundamental clear relationships by people sharing and understanding each other's experiences clearly, right? So that's the six. So you'll see that it's less, it's very much fundamentally leadership mindsets that help you to be more human, step into more agile, step into more complexity at the core. Marianne, that is absolutely wonderful. I wholeheartedly agree with everything that you have said there. Um, I am a big fan of lots of the work that you have uh, said there. I must say that book by Susan David is absolutely wonderful, as is the work by uh, Angela Duckworth with Grit. This is all the time we have for today on the podcast. What I'd like to do is give you an opportunity now to um, let our listeners know how uh, might, they might contact you and if there's anything else that you'd like to say to our listeners, off we go. Look, um, I'd love to connect with any of you. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. 
Marianne Rue. Um, I love taking new connections in the network. I post a lot on these things, so that would be a really good place for you. I also have a Rue Consulting LinkedIn page, so you can also follow me there. And what I do there is I post slightly differently to the Marianne Rue LinkedIn page. Um, they really curated for people like you specifically, because the other one is for all leaders, right? So this one is curated. It's deeper research. It will give you more resources to work with. So those are the first two. I also have a website, www.marianru.com. And in there, all my podcasts, all my thought leadership, all my books, and all my online learning programs are. So you can go in there and play and learn. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, con connect with me on LinkedIn if you'd like to have. I'm always open for a coffee. I live in Dublin now. I've been here one month. Um, so I work across Europe. I live in Dublin. Um, but I work mainly globally with all my clients. And I'm always happy to have a coffee or a chat or a Zoom. Um, so just let me know. Happy. Marianne, welcome to Dublin. And thank you so much for coming on to the Workplace Podcast. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. Um, and we're both passionate about this topic, which I'm sure uh, came across in this podcast today. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, -S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your externing learning and development partner. Provider executive coaching, facilitation and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team and organization.